Hey, good morning, guys. Sorry about that. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Not so good? Nobody, nobody's really responding. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Good? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Making me a little nervous up here, so. Um, hey, my name is Chilobi Colombo. Um, I go, uh, we attend, we're members of Bayou City Fellowship. We just happened to attend the Spring Branch campus. I say we uh, because uh, it's my wife and three kids. Um, last time I was here, my wife was not here because she was teaching. Today she's not here. I promise I do have a wife <laughs> and I do have kids. Those weren't stock pictures I put up last time I was here. Um, she, just, she just happens to be uh, teaching this morning over Spring Branch. So it's an honor once again to be here uh, with you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, we're in between series. We just finished the psalmist and the psalm. I think we're rolling into another series next week. Um, I'm not sure what it is yet. Um, But uh, this week I just wanted us to talk about a story that I think we're all very familiar with. uh, The story of of, uh, the interaction between Eve and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Where we'll start with Genesis chapter uh, 2. Just to kind of give us a little bit of context to that. Um, I'm going to start with verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9. And then I'll jump over to verse 15 through 17, and then we're going to jump into chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, read with me. Verse 8 says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every living tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden in the, in, of Eden to tend and keep it. Can somebody say tend and keep it? And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Can somebody say freely eat? Freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. Can somebody turn to their neighbor and say you shall surely die? No, don't. don't, don't. You shall surely <laughs> Chapter 3, verses 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Can somebody say, Nor shall you touch it? Lest you die. Verse 4, then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word uh, that it stands throughout time. We thank you for the opportunity, God, now to open your word and um, study it together. And I just pray um, that you allow us to hear from you and only from you. I ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We were planning a vacation. We actually did go on the vacation last year. um, But right before we were going on the vacation, everybody got sick in the house. I have three kids, like I said, Caleb, Naomi, and Eliana. My wife and I, we all got sick. Naomi, our youngest, uh, came back from daycare 
uh, with a smorgasbord of like colds and viruses. And she got us all sick, except my son, Caleb, my oldest son, Caleb. He was fine. Um, Prior, you know, when Caleb being our firstborn son, um, I remember I was just so inept as a dad. My wife still thinks I'm still kind of inept as a dad. But I remember um, he, used to get, he used to get sick. Obviously, when we, when we first took him to daycare, he used to get sick a lot. He used to bring back colds and viruses, and he used to give them to us. Uh, but I, I remembered uh, just how panicked I was because every time he got sick, I had, I had a three-cough rule. The first cough, we were okay. The second cough, I'm up. The third cough, we're buckled in and headed to Texas Children's Hospital because I just didn't want to take any risk. And so I used to take my, my son to the, to the pediatricians more often than I need to. Uh, in, in fact, it got so bad that the pediatrician would call my wife and say, hey, I just want you to know that your husband was here. Uh, if you see something on the chart, there's really nothing wrong with your son. He just has a little bit of a cold. Uh, but I used to do that. In fact, our second-born daughter didn't get any better. I remember with our second-born, uh, Eliana, uh, one time she choked on milk. And my wife, um, she's a physician as well, so she was there, she took care of it, it was, it was fine, but I, it just wasn't enough to me. So I remember I physically, I, I, I called 911, <laughs> and this is a conversation I had with emergency services. They're like, hey, 911, there's an emergency. I'm like, ah, I'm not sure if it's really an emergency. So they're like, was there anything wrong? I'm like, well, my daughter's breathing right now, but I just don't know for how long she's going to be breathing. <laughs> So well, what happened? Well, no, she's fine. She choked on a little bit of milk. My wife took care of it. And they're like, well, we don't need to do anything. I said, well, no, I really would like somebody to come just in case, just to check on her. And so they actually did. They actually did. I probably would have done it again, but the bill deterred me from making any future 911 calls after that. Um, but Caleb's immune system over time got better. It got solidified to the extent that when the rest of us were getting sick, even though there was this condition around him, there was viruses or colds all around him, Caleb was fine. He didn't get sick. The story here tells us, or is, is, is the introduction of the story of when God created mankind and, the, and, and, and how, how perfect they were in the garden. Up until this point, man had not disobeyed God. And they were living in perfect harmony in a sinless creation. But there was this evil condition around. How do we know that there was an evil condition around? Well, because the Bible tells us that, right? Because we can see from the interaction that God, that, that Adam and Eve have with the serpent, that the serpent was not being motivated by God. There was something evil or sinister that was behind the serpent. For the serpent to have a conversation to the extent that they did with Adam and Eve. The, uh, the thing we also see is the Bible tells us that God tells, uh, tells Adam and Eve that there are two trees. Right? There's a tree in the garden. of uh, the, the, There's a tree called the tree of life. Which when you ate of that tree of life, you got life. There was also another tree in the garden that God says was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many know if you want to have, if you have knowledge of something, that thing has to actually exist? We know that there was goodness because God is good. And so, and, but we also know that there was evil because God told Adam and Eve, look, there is an evil out there that you should not have a knowledge of. And so God protected them. And as long as they stayed in the, in the, in, in, in the grace and the mercy, as long as they stayed in, 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 in the avenue that God had for them, they were protected them. The Bible tells us, Ezekiel chapter 28, 
that God, that, that God had an angel who used to minister to him, a cherub who used to minister to him, and that, that, that the cherub's name was, was Lucifer. And the Bible tells us that he used to minister to God day and night. But Lucifer wanted to be like God, and so sin entered him, and he wanted to usurp God. And Isaiah chapter 14 tells us that then God had to kick him out of heaven, him and the legion of his angels, and they ended up on earth. So the devil and the legions are on earth. Adam and Eve are on earth. And the Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve sin against God and they eat of the fruit, their eyes are opened to this reality that they were protected from. And this reality was the presence of Lucifer, who they had previously been immune to, this presence of evil that they previously had been immune to. And because they disobeyed God, they were exposed to it. As long as they had obeyed God, they could survive in these mutually exclusive trajectories where one was being cast out by God because of their sin, but the other was living in perfect harmony with creation in a perfect garden that God created because they were obedient. As long as Adam and Eve were in the perfect will of God, then them and creation were immune from sin. God will prepare Adam for this, and he will put Adam in the garden. And in chapter 2, verses 9, the Bible tells us that this garden was full of plants and trees that were pleasant to the sight and good for food. God will give Adam a set of instructions. And in verse 15 in chapter 2, he says, look, you need to tend and keep to the entire garden. In verse 16, he says, and of this entire garden, I've put food in here, trees and plants that you may freely eat. Somebody say freely. There's a, sense, there's a sense of abundance and liberty for them to partake of the food. And oh, by the way, in verse 17, God says, there is a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I need to protect you from that. You do not eat of that, for you shall die. Somebody say, you shall die. Now, I grew up in Zambia, and we had a garden in the back of our house. We had plants in there, we had vegetables, and we also had trees. All kinds of trees. We had papaya trees. We had mango trees. We had lemon trees. We had grapefruit. I hate grapefruit, but we had grapefruit trees there. We also had wild cherry trees. Now, wild cherry trees, um, the fruit looks like a cherry and looks like it's good, but it has a little bit of cyanide in it. A little bit of cyanide. So you can't eat it in large quantities. You can eat it accidentally, but you can't eat it in large quantities. People had those trees because the branches, we used them as toothbrushes to brush your teeth. So people, so there was a utility for the tree, but you just couldn't eat of that fruit. I was responsible for taking care of the vegetables and the fruit, and the, and the fruit trees in the, in the, in the garden. And, and if you know anything about taking care of vegetables and trees, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on. There's pruning, there's grafting, there's picking fruit, there's you know, t- taking out dead branches, there's picking old you know, dead fruit and throwing them away. So, so tending and keeping to a garden really involves doing what? Touching. Tending and keeping to a garden, if you want to be effective at tending and keeping to a garden, you at some point have to touch the stuff that you're tending and keeping. If we fast forward to this conversation that Eve has with the devil, the serpent, we don't know how the devil got a hold of some of the information that he presented to Eve. But we do know this. The Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking and roaming the earth, seeking those whom he can devour. The devil was like a, a cancer that was prodding the, prodding the immune system to see, that, to see if it could breach and infect creation. 
And at some point, the devil senses this opening in Eve, and he has a conversation with Eve that's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He's catfishing. He's testing Eve to see if she really has a true understanding of the instruction that God has given Adam. This is what he says in verse 1. Has God really said that you shall not eat of the truth? Are you sure that's what God said? The devil is not trying to confuse. He's trying to sow seeds of confusion and doubt to cloud Eve's perception of God. See, because the way we perceive God really you know, plays a vital role in how you and I respond to the challenges and the tough question, questions that life throws at us. And if the devil can erode our confidence in God, he can easily or more easily influence our behavior. And we look, if we look at the response that Eve gives the devil, we can tell that she has a distorted image or distorted understanding or perception of God. Watch what she says in verse 2. She says this. She says, we may eat of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the garden, which is in the midst of the garden, God has, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Can somebody say, nor shall you touch it? Lest you die. If you notice, there's three things that Eve does here that shows us kind of what her understanding or her misunderstanding of God's initial instructions that were given to Adam. The first thing is, the Bible clearly says in chapter 2, verse 16, that, we are to, that Adam and Eve could freely eat of the fruit. There was a sense of liberty that God intended, the sense of liberty and freedom that God intended in his original instruction to Adam. And Eve removes that, that liberty by taking out the word freely. Not only does she remove the word, the word freely and removes the liberty, she replaces the freedom with an additional layer of restriction that God didn't place in the first place. She said, nor shall you touch it. God never said anything about not touching the fruit. In fact, God told Adam that he had to tend to the fruit. And tending of the fruit involved touching of the fruit. The third thing that she did is she reduces the punishment for disobedience from an absolute where God said the imperative you shall die to the conjunction lest you die. And the difference between an imperative and a conjunction is one is absolute. If you do this, you will die. The conjunction is, is, is an optional. It's optional. Lest you die. You may die or you may not die. Who knows? It's up to God. So God's loving instructions that were meant to protect them from harm have now been reduced to legal requirements that carry only the threat of possible or potential consequences. And you don't have to, you don't have to be a wizard to know what's going to happen or what's going to follow with this perception that she has, right? But before we judge Eve, lest we fall into judgment of Eve, her actions really were not surprising given the circumstances. You see, her knowledge of God's instructions were primarily secondhand information. The Bible tells us that God gives Adam these instructions before he creates Eve. Adam then would have to turn around and give these instructions to Eve. And at some point during the translating of those instructions from God, the, the instructions of God get misinterpreted, misinterpreted or lost in translation. So what's the issue here? The, the real issue here is that you know, sometimes our core beliefs, our doctrinal positions, our theology are anchored on not what we have discovered, what we have prayerfully sought from God, what we've studied in his word, but from secondhand information that we get from other people. 
Maybe it's because we respect that person. Maybe it's because they sound eloquent. Or maybe because it's the Christian cultural norm. But we fashion those positions on what we've heard from other people and not what we've discovered from God. I've done this too plenty of times. I've caught myself saying, well, I wonder what Francis Chan's position is on this one. Or wonder what Tim Keller has to say about this. When I really should be asking, what does the word of God, what is the Holy Spirit instructing me to do about this? The truth is you and I should never entrust our faith on the words of others when our very eternity lies in the balance. We can value people's insight. We can listen to people's instructions. But we should never blindly follow people because we're all a work in progress. I need to keep adjusting this. Let me see if I can pick this a little bit. And because Eve didn't understand God's purpose, she was more so motivated than fear than she was out of love. Uh, about nine years ago, uh, right before I got married, once again, the whole marriage thing, I am married, I promise. <clears throat> we had a Bible study. We started a Bible study at our church. And it was, it was one, of the, one of the brothers at our church. And, and, and the purpose of the Bible study was how we could be men who stayed faithful to our wives. And that Bible study was packed to begin with, but over a several, several couple of months, we noticed that people, less and less people were attending the Bible study. And less and less people were attending the Bible study because every time we met, we talked about, well, this, what is the strategy to be faithful to our wives? But that's not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is we can, so that we can glorify, we can exemplify the relationship between God and his church and glorify God through our marriage. Being faithful is a byproduct of being faithful to God. See, so what happened with Adam and Eve is instead of being gracious, instead of focus on the, the graciousness of the provider, God, and everything that he gave them freely, they allowed the devil to paint God as a selfish master who restricted them from enjoyment. And so they missed the abundant blessing that God had freely given them, all these fruits, all these vegetables that they could eat. And instead they zoned in on this one tree. And not only did they just zone in on this one tree, they added their own layer of regulation. You shall not touch when God never said anything about not touching it. Instead of seeing the commandments of God as gracious instructions from their, for their own protection, they saw the commandments of God as a threat, a veiled threat that was meant to protect them from something that was good. And because of this perception that the devil takes advantage of Eve, this inaccurate, inaccurate perception that she, ha- that she has, the devil now will sow seeds of rebellion. Look, Eve, God has actually trying to withhold something from you. He knows that the day that you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. If you remember, that was a sin that the devil committed, right? He wanted to be like God. This sense of rebellion now, he's passing on to Adam and Eve. And so Eve is faced with this huge decision. But Eve does not have enough truth to deflect the lies of the devil. The serpent has pre- presented a pretty persuasive argument to Eve. But her distorted perception of God leaves her vulnerable to those lies. And, and Adam, Adam who received those instructions from God, the Bible says that she took of the fruit and she ate and he was right there with him. All along, he says nothing. He doesn't step in to defend his wife. He doesn't step in to defend God. And so what do you think Eve is going to do? Right? If you're watching it like you're watching a movie, like my mother-in-law watches movies, you're probably standing right now and shouting and trying to throw things at the screen and say, Eve, don't do it. Don't do it. 
It could not end up right if you don't do it. But we know how the story ends, right? The Bible tells us that in Genesis 3-7 that she takes the fruit and she eats it. And she gives it to Adam who was there with her as well. And just like that, creation's immune system is compromised. Evil comes rushing in through the caretaker of creation who was Adam. Romans 5-12 says, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And their eyes are open. And they see that they're naked and they run and they hide. The Bible tells us that God surely thereafter comes looking for them because he had fellowship with Adam and Eve. And he used to come in and they used to have perfect fellowship. And this time they go and hide. And God finds them because you can't hide from God. And he asks them a question. And the blame game starts, right? Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Typical human reaction, right? We love to pass the buck when we're caught in something that we shouldn't be doing. God, I didn't really want to lash out at my husband or my wife, but you're the one who created them crazy. God, I, 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 did, I, 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 I want to help refugees. I, I want to help immigrants, but they're a pool on our natural resources. They're a strain on society. There's a risk of the safety of my family. God, I, I want to help homeless people. I, I want to help those people who are less fortunate than I am, I don't really want to encourage their habits. I don't really want to participate in what that is that made them be homeless in the first place. But God doesn't really listen to our excuses, especially from his children, because we should know better. And God doesn't listen to Adam and Eve's excuses. He does not absolve them of their responsibility. Even if the Bible tells us that God did, in fact, create the serpent to be cunning. And we miss this. Because the Bible clearly tells us that the serpent was more cunning than animal than any animal that God was created. And the serpent, God would deal with the serpent, but just because the serpent was created a certain way did not absolve Adam and Eve of their responsibility to respond. And the reason it didn't absolve them of their responsibility to respond is because our response is never directed at anybody else. Jesus would tell people in Matthew chapter 25 when he talks about you know, the, I, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, I was cold and you let me in. I was lost and you found me. And they ask and they say, and, and, and they ask Jesus and they'll say, well, how, we never saw you, Jesus, right? And Jesus says, no, no, no. When you feed the least of these, when you respond to the need of the least of these, you are responding to me. In other words, our response is never directed at somebody else. Our response is a reflection of our attitude to Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindle wrote a book called The Grace Awakening. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, grace is never really a grace, is never really grace until it has the potential to be abused. So we're used to mercy, right? Because mercy is tied with justice. But grace is something different. Grace is never really grace unless we leave ourselves vulnerable to abuse because that's what Jesus Christ did. That it wasn't grace until he stepped down from heaven that he lived and he dwelt and he was abused by the very people that he turned around and said, Lord, forgive them because they know not what we do. If we want to be a people of grace, we need to be a people that are willing to expose ourselves to abuse. That's a tough word to hear. And a lot of us don't like to hear that. But the truth of the matter is, regardless of people's circumstances, we do really have an audience of one. My, my professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, my, one of my Bible professors, his favorite phrase to say during class was, Adam blamed Eve, 
Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have legs to stand on. And that's what happened, right? So they were cursed. Adam was cursed. Eve was cursed. And the serpent could no longer stand up. He had to, he had to slither on his belly because of the disobedience of God. So everybody in, in this picture, in this story, had to suffer the repercussions of disobedience to God. Nobody was, was exempt, and nobody was allowed to use an excuse. Why would Adam and Eve throw it away? Why would they risk it? Why would they risk everything on the word of something that was created and nothing on the creator? Well, for the same reason that you and I disobey God, right? Because what we can see in the present, it's more tangible, it's more urgent, it's more enticing, it's more satisfying than the eternal that is unseen. And so we get wrapped up in life's circumstances that we lose sight of God. For some of us, it might be the small day-to-day decisions, but for some of us, it's the major decisions that we make in life. And it never ends well. In the end, it's never worth it. It certainly wasn't worth it for Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that the reason that they disobeyed God is because they so wanted to be wise in verse, in, in verse, chapter, in verse 6. The Bible tells us in Genesis 3, 6 that they, they saw the fruit and that was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make them wise. They forsook everything that God had given, the covering of God for the promise from something that was created of the knowledge of good and evil. What does this look like for us? Is it wealth? Is it success? Is it power? Is it recognition? Is it acceptance? We all have the affinity for stuff that if we leave unchecked will cause us to lose sight of the purposes and the plan that God has for our lives. Let me close out with this. The the unfortunate irony in this whole story is that that thing that they so desperately wanted, they wanted to be wise, was right there in front of them the whole time. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says that it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. And it's the knowledge of the Lord, of the Holy One, that breeds understanding. In other words, all they had to do was to fear the Lord and and to flee from evil. And they would have been wise. They would have received that wisdom that they so desired. But instead, Adam and Eve wanted to get something on their own. Outside of the will of God. And that knowledge that they got became a curse to them. As soon as they eat of the tree, they see that they're naked. And they run away and they sever the relationship that they have and they hide from God. This message is not about forsaking the word, forsaking the world and pursuing wisdom. The message in this scripture really is that you and I need to have a personal and intimate knowledge of God. And what you and I should not be content with simply relying or hearing from other people who have spoken to God or relying for other people to to speak to God on our behalf because too much is at stake. The Bible says in John 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, it says, and that word became flesh. And it dwelt amongst us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And all John is saying is the same God that was in the beginning that created Adam and Eve, the same God that walked and had fellowship, the same God that Adam and Eve severed a relationship because of disobedience, that same God stepped down from heaven. And he lived and dwelt amongst us that we could could behold him. And what did we behold? What did we behold? Truth. And grace, that we no longer had to wait, to, had to wait for a, media, a meteor to come in between us and God, that we could approach the throne of God through the work of the Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. 
that you and I could no longer, no longer had to be like the children of Israel who had to say, Moses, why don't you go up to the mountaintop? Why don't you hear from God? And why don't you come down and bring a message of God to us? That we no longer have to do that. We have direct access to the throne room of God. And it's extremely important because the stuff that life throws at us, we will absolutely not be able to handle unless we have a standing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus calls us. He wants us. He welcomes us. That's why he died on the cross, that he could restore a relationship with us. My hope and my prayer is that we be a people that are not content with just hearing about God from somebody else or just allowing God to approach, the, allowing somebody else to approach the throne room of God on our behalf, that, but that we pursue God with a passion, that we pursue God with a vigor, that we are intentional about our relationship with God because eternity, our eternity, lies in the balance. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. I thank you for your blood, Jesus Christ, that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. I thank you because, God, nothing is too difficult for us. God, you love us with an eternal love. You love us with a sacrificial love. I thank you for your grace that covers a multitude of our sin, Father. And so this morning, God, I pray that we be a people that not just love you, Father, but love to love you, that we pursue you with a passion, God, that nothing comes in, pre- in between us and you. We love you and we honor you and we thank you for your word. We ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.